Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Pony Express, the flagship show, the flagship podcast for the Post Rider Podcast Network. As always, I am your host, Mike Levito, the editor-in-chief of the Post Rider, and I am joined by Post Rider contributor, Lewis Ryan. Hey, everyone. Glad to be here. Um, I'm just trying to avoid getting seasick because we're here on the flagship, and uh, <laughs> it's, always, it's always a bit of a gamble for me whether I'm going to lose my lunch or not. Oh, boy. Yeah, Lars will not be joining us because he's swabbing the deck, so um, we're keeping him busy. But we have fun talking about uh, Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest TV Shows of All Time. Um, Yeah, this is the hot new list. It is, yes, hot new list. If if you'll remember, in some of our earlier episodes, we we talked a lot about lists because Rolling Stone had just released their revised 100 Greatest Albums of All Time list. Um. Was it albums or was it songs? No, it was albums. It was albums, yeah. And then we talked about the songs list later. Um, and we had we had a lot of fun going through the, the, the top ten um, for each of those. So, we, But we thought we'd devote an entire episode to this list here. Because I'd say it's been a pretty controversial list. Would you, would, would you agree? <laughs> yeah, this is... You know, we had ten good years of peace before <laughs> this list came out. And now... Everything's everything's in shambles. Society has collapsed. It's it's true. Um, yeah, for, forget nuclear war. Forget pandemics. Um, you like know. this list caused the reaction that Spike Lee wants to cause with every film <laughs> he makes. It did. Um, yeah. So let let's talk about sort of what this list actually is. Um, so you know, a lot of publications when they create lists like this. A lot of times it's compiled by their staff or they send a survey out to critics or sometimes readers will vote or something like that. However, for this list, which was more or less compiled by Alan Sepinwall, like coordinated by Alan Sepinwall, was of course, I think you would maybe argue probably like the premier TV critic right now, right? Yeah, he's kind of like the what Roger Ebert was to movies. He kind of occupies that space for television criticism. Yeah. And of course, a favorite son of our home state, the great state of New Jersey. Um, yeah. Got his, got his start at the, at the Star-Ledger. Um, really wonderful writer, critic, uh, and seems like a nice guy. Um, so, yeah, he they what, what, what Rolling Stone did is they sent out... Um, apparently, they had a list in 2016 about best TV shows as well, but th- what they did was is they sent out ballots to people in the TV industry, to actors, actresses you know, showrunners, writers, directors, what have you, and critics as well, um, and had them vote, and had them vote on their favorites. Um, that sea air, it is not clearing our throats. No, it's not. Um, very nasty. We have to tell Lars to, to go clean out the boiler room. That smokestack is really bothering us. Um, so it's interesting too, right? Because, well, I'll ask you first, what do you think about this approach to, to compiling a list like that? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's sort of the same way like the Academy, you know, the, the, all the Academies vote on the award shows, right? Like they have the Academy, the Motion Picture Academy, um, and then they all vote on the Academy Award winners based on, you know, whatever criteria. And then, so it's similar. They sent out these ballots and they were just like, hey, name 50 TV shows, apparently to all these people, all these luminaries in the industry, actors, creators, uh, producers, writers, even some other television critics. The thing that surprised me, though, is that it's like a very small sample size when you get down to it, because it's only 46 
people, including Alan Sepinall. So that seems kind of like, like, either that number should be like a lot smaller, as in the case of like TV, the book, which we'll get to, I'm sure, or like a lot bigger. Like I'm thinking in like the seven hundreds, something like that. Yeah, it does. It does seem like an awkward middle ground, right? It's like you are. It's almost like if you went onto like a very small airplane and kind of asked everybody there, you know, who they would vote for, or literally just like went into like a studio somewhere and asked them uh, to vote on this. Yeah. So you mentioned TV, the book, which was of course written by Alan Steppenwall and Matt Zoller Seitz, um, where they also compiled a list of the hundred greatest TV shows of all time. Obviously, that was... it, it's funny that I it's funny that I brought up that Alan Steppenwall is like the Roger Ebert. For uh, TV, when Mad Zeitz is literally the replacement for Roger Ebert <laughs> in charge of writing for RogerEbert.com. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Um, so I guess he has the title, whereas maybe Seth Wall maybe has sort of the uh, the proofs in the pudding a little bit more. Though I do like Mad Zoller's sites. Um, I have actually you were saying. I have his book about Mad Men um, somewhere in like the next room. But anyway, um, so TV. You were the, saying yes, I was. I was saying. <laughs> TV the book compiled by Steppenwall and Zoller Sites, and they had like um you know they basically sort of uh collaborated on this list of 100 greatest shows they had a whole like if you actually look at the book there's a whole rubric in the back of like how they scored them on various factors um and they also limited their selections only to scripted American TV shows so that means things like and, je- and shows that were also had completed their run right yes. or had like run so long that there was very little doubt that you know their opinion would change right yeah so like like when it was published game of thrones was still on the air game of thrones was not included in the list um it and also when the list was published the simpsons was also on the air and the simpsons still continues to be on the air. that is that is true that is a very good point the simpsons was in fact number one in that book um but also meant that it didn't have like Jeopardy or Saturday Night Live or The uh, Office UK. The Office UK or another foreign show that people like Squid Peep. Squid Game. Well, Squid which Game didn't, didn't exist, exist at the time. <laughs> yeah, Peep Show or something like that. Um, so th- this this list is, is a bit of a, a different beast. Um, do do you have yeah. feelings about that? <laughs> Yeah, no, I I think it's a, um, well, that's, that's, I think, one of the big advantages. It's like, if you want to favor one list over the other, I think the big sort of interesting advantage that the Rolling Stone list now has is that it removed that, like, narrative element and, like, the American element. So it, like, opens up, you know, globally and, like, to every, like, variety of TV show. So, um that's one of the interesting things that I think is in favor of this list. Now, I think the caveat is to what degree was that actually implemented in the list that was actually compiled? I, I dare say that it was not, um, you know, taken to its fullest extreme in this list. And we ultimately have like a list that's kind of like mostly a hodgepodge of like stuff that was already in TV, the book with not a whole lot of differentiation. Yeah, I, I would agree. There's obviously a very clear bias towards American scripted shows. Um, it's interesting. It reminds me of The Ringer a couple years ago did a list. It was either fifty or it was either the fifty or one hundred greatest episodes of the twenty first century, um, but they did not limit themselves to scripted TV shows. So they had episodes of like Jersey Shore and American Idol 
alongside like the Pine Darrens from The Sopranos and the suitcase from Mad Men, which I which I found interesting at the time, even though I don't really care for reality TV. Um. Anyway, let's uh let's let's get into the list itself. So we're we're not gonna do all 100 entries because that would be insane. Um. And also, we're gonna do the top 90. Yes. <laughs> top 99. No, instead we're we're gonna review the top 10. Just kind of share our thoughts with it, or thoughts on them, excuse me, and uh, and and go from there. And then we, we have some thoughts about things we might add and take out and move and all that. But let's start with the top ten list. So number ten, running from 1970 to 1977 on CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting Station, is the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Luce, have you ever watched the Mary Tyler Moore Show? Uh, I've seen a couple episodes, but I haven't really dived in i know i know about it obviously and i know of its legacy uh created by alan burns and the great james l brooks who would later later grace us with the simpsons and uh spanglish um uh i you know i i mean i know mary tyler more obviously from her tremendous role as uh laura petrie on the dick van dyke show um, which she was great on, but I, I have never really dived into the uh, Mary Tyler Moore show. I don't I don't doubt that it's a great sitcom. I just I just never watched it, and uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm not upset or anything to see it at number ten on this list. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, apparently, you know, again, I, I've actually never seen an episode of the Mary Tyler Moore show. Um, apparently, very good. Apparently, trailblazing for you know the the kind of female lead it had. Mary Tyler Moore, I agree. Also watched Dick, a lot of Dick Van Dyke when it was on TV land back in the day, so I saw her. She's great. Um, yeah, this felt like it was a show like that was not rerun a lot when we were younger, because I watched like a lot of rerun old sitcoms, and this was just kind of not one of them. Um, but yeah, it seems like per- I'm, seems perfectly reasonable to me. It, it's, it's the kind of sort of like recognizable name, recognizable star that would make sense for the top 10, I would say. All right, so for number nine, we have a currently running series whose fourth season has actually just started on FX. We have Atlanta. Lewis, have you ever seen Atlanta? I, I have watched Atlanta. I watched like the first six or seven episodes of Atlanta, and um, uh, I think it's overrated. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I think I was one of the people when watching Community who would think that Donald Glover was overrated even though I obviously recognize he's like a very talented and funny individual, but it is just kind of like he was playing like a dumb guy on community. who said like dumb guy things at like the end of every scene. And it was just kind of like, hee hee, that guy is funny. And it's like everyone else was also funny on the show. So I don't know. Um, but you know, I've, I've seen Atlanta. I don't think it's a bad show by any means. Is it the ninth greatest show in the world? I would, I would disagree. Yeah. I think in the top 10, this is clearly like the first big reach. I, I, I enjoy Atlanta. I think the first two seasons are like very good verging on great, even though there's like one or two episodes I think are kind of clunkers. The third season was not that good. Um, I don't know if you know Lewis, but it's like they did this thing where like every other episode had nothing to do with the main plot of the series. It was just like a standalone episode of like a completely different set of characters. And like maybe two of those episodes was any good. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I haven't, I actually haven't watched any of the fourth season, so I can't speak on that, but yeah, I, I get why, I, I mean, like Donald Glover, I feel like is kind of recognized as like a singular talent, um, whether or not that's 
warranted, I think, is a different thing. I think Lakeith Stanfield and Brian Tyree Henry are two sort of, like, very talented actors. I, I always enjoy seeing them in things. Um, but no matter how good I find Atlanta, yeah, I just think having it at number nine at this point, it's like one of those things where people say, well, you know, the Oscars should really be voted on, like, five or ten years after the fact. It's like, I feel like you got to wait five or ten years after shows off the air to kind of properly rank it. Um, yeah, that's that's the thing I look for in all these lists is um, <clears throat> sort of like the recency bias, which I think is, you know, um, I think I'm, you know, strongly tried against recency bias in these lists that I that I make. And I try to look for lists that sort of try to incorporate like the entire scope of like history, in this case, like television history that sort of have like respect for it. And so I think Atlanta is like a case of like recency bias. Um in this case, on the list, I, I I don't know if it'll be on the list in ten ten or so years. Like you say, um, it, like it hasn't finished its run yet. It's pretty close to finishing though, right? Because I believe this is the last season. It is, yeah. And uh, it's just it's tough to compare. Like, how do you compare Mary Mary Tyler Moore to like Atlanta, which is like a fraction of the episodes that Mary Tyler Moore did over a, a consistent period of time? It's it's tough to compare. Yeah. I agree. Um, number eight on the list, though, was a sitcom that I think pretty much everybody would agree has stood the test of time and was certainly around long enough to make a dent, and that is Cheers, which ran from 1982 to 1993. I've only seen a handful of episodes, but I feel like you've seen a lot of Cheers, Lewis. Uh, I've seen Cheers. I haven't seen, like, every episode of Cheers. Um, I've seen enough. I've seen way more Frasier than Cheers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Cheers is, like, the ultimate sitcom it's like the ultimate like sitcom played straight it was like that that sort of last great sitcom you know when then it was succeeded by seinfeld you know which is all sort of about like destruct deconstructing like the sitcom in a way so it was like cheers was like the last great like sincere sitcom had a great cast of characters like all of them are like memorable and funny except for that um psychiatrist guy he was annoying (laughs) (laughs) but um you know, it was great. Um, very sophisticated show, um, despite the fact that it takes place in a Boston bar. Um, yeah, I enjoy Cheers. Obviously, this might be like, what's the opposite of recency bias? I guess it's like nostalgia. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like it kind of, its placement this high on the list might be an example of like boomer, boomer nostalgia. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not sure what the right generation. I guess it would be my parents' generation because they watched Cheers. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I felt like this this was another case where it's like I didn't see it a lot um, growing up because it was like 20 years after the fact of stuff that would be playing on TV land and what have you. I think Frasier's plays way more in syndication or like it did 10, 15 years ago. And I felt like Cheers wasn't as widely available on DVD back then um so yeah i mean it exists it's great um i have no problem with it being number eight on the list yeah in fact the only the the first three episodes or not it's not first three episodes excuse me the first three seasons of cheers are available on hulu right now which is its streaming home so weirdly hard to get um (laughs) i yeah i've only seen so many episodes i i would be interested like if you polled people like born after 1993 and like if they to find out whether or not they knew that um, Frasier is a spinoff of Cheers, because I do feel like 
certainly among our generation, Frasier eclipsed Cheers, I would say. Um, although Cheers, the sense I get is that it's more innovative and kind of more timeless to some people. Um, so yeah, Cheers is, as you know, Lewis, uh, in college, I, I would very often watch the Frasier reruns that one until 4 a.m., and Cheers was what was on at 4 a.m., so whenever I heard that theme song, I knew it was time to go to bed. Um, <laughs> so that's what I'll forever associate the show with. Um, and that Sleep was, medicine. Yes, that, and that was on Hallmark, I believe. They would rerun those shows, which is an interesting place for that. Um, number seven, we have another pretty recent show, but not as recent as it used to be. Um, Mad Men. Uh, I know you're pretty lukewarm on Mad Men, if, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm like dubious of like why Mad Men is great. Like I would, <clears throat> like my mom would watch Mad Men and obviously she worked in the advertising industry in New York. So she has, she has more of, you know, a insider perspective on the show or what have you. And, uh, so I would watch it with her. I, I famously, I watched the, uh, the not great Bob moment. Yes. I watched that live as it happened <laughs> on TV. And so have you, isn't that weird when that happens? Like when you see something, it's like, you're like, wow, that was memorable. And then it's like a meme and it's like still around. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think Mad Men, Mad Men is good. It's definitely, you know, one of the best shows that's like a compelling drama without being about like people like shooting guns, mm-hmm. you know, or crime. Like it's literally about people just like in a business. There's never anything like Don has to sell meth to provide for his family <laughs> right or you know a spaceship's gonna explode um but i do think uh i don't know i, I did i felt like Mad Men was kind of like repetitious mm. at a certain point you know where it kept beating the same note on the drum if you will and i do i i do feel like it's ending while not as like definitely not as controversial as like the Sopranos. I don't know if the ending quite, I don't know if it elevated the show. I don't know. I think it like necessarily like um, deflated the show, but it was kind of just like, eh. And then, um, yeah, but I, you know, great, great writing, definitely great production design, great actors. Um, It's personally not my cup of tea, um, but you know, I, I have no problem with it. It definitely is. I would say objectively excellent tv show yeah it um i think it got i feel like it got a little bit of a second life kind of among our age group because it was one of those shows that was on netflix forever so people were able to go back and kind of watch it and binge it at their own pace um it's one of my favorite tv shows of all time if not my favorite um i just you know and for very superficial reasons on one level like i just love the production design i love the, the time period um, I love the way it kind of tries to tell stories about the changes going on in that time period and um, the way and trying to have you experience them the way that these can, these characters who would have been contemporaneous with those changes happen. Um, and just just really memorable performances. Um, the suitcase, one of the greatest episodes of TV of all time, probably has maybe one of my favorite lines of TV of all time, um, which is. Uh, she was born in a barn in 1899. Um, she died on a skyscraper. She's an astronaut. I kind of butchered that, but um, I, to me, just like an excellent, excellent TV show. You're 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 right in that they did start to run out of ideas towards the end, and the ending's certainly underwhelming. 
it was very clear that, you know, it's a show that I say like moves at the speed of life. Like I said, nothing super flashy or dramatic happens a lot of the time. Um, to the point where even like the whole conceit of Don Draper, um, you know, not actually being Don Draper, it almost feels out of place in certain moments. Like it feels like a very sort of like Breaking Bad-esque plot point in what's a not very Breaking Bad-esque show. But um, to I, me, it's just always funny that um, what what is commonly cited as one of the least loved Simpsons episodes is the one where it turns out Principal Skinner uh, stole the real Seymour Skinner's yeah. identity in yeah. Vietnam. And then Don Draper commonly held up as one of the best TV protagonists ever. It literally has like the same backstory. <laughs> he does. It's just so funny how that works. Yeah. Um, but I think certainly, I, I think it's hard to argue with having it kind of in the top 10 or at least very high up on the list, even though it is, it is very recent. Um, number six, a little show called Seinfeld. Um, Anything you want to say about Seinfeld, Lewis? Yeah, this is actually the first on the top 10 where I feel like, you know, this is like one of my shows, um, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, I love Seinfeld. I've seen every episode of Seinfeld. Seinfeld's great. I really, um, I think I've talked about this with you, Mike. I buck against the trend of people like, I don't know, I guess discovering Seinfeld now and they're like, I don't get it. Or like, they don't like Jerry mm -hmm. <laughs> at all. And it's like, oh, it's all Larry David and stuff like that and it's like it's it's just not true jerry was obviously a big guiding voice in seinfeld it's a great great show so many great classic episodes um it's just uh i don't know i should really watch it all over again because it's been a while but I, like i used to watch them so much i would like have uh all of it like memorized in like the back of my head i could tell you everything from every episode <laughs> yeah but um it's great definitely deserving of being on the list you know the last cheers was like the last you know sincere sitcom seinfeld in a way was kind of like the last like really big sitcom because mm -hmm. jerry ended it like it was number one and it's like last season they left left the party early so to speak um just a great show um the dvd sets that sony did over the course of, you know, the early 2000s. They're just tremendous DVD sets with full of um, great special features. Like, there's little mini documentaries on every episode because every episode has, like, an interesting story behind it and stuff. So there's just so much so much to love about Seinfeld and the fact that it's, like, so much of Seinfeld, the show, is about, like, the making of Seinfeld within the show. Like, it's, like, this endlessly self-reflexive thing. Um, you know, just a, just a wonderful... TV show, this the kind I think that we're sadly missing in our current crop of TV, where it's like truly like water cooler television. Like you can just gather around and just talk about the episode and enjoy talking about it. Um, so yeah, those are those are my rambling thoughts on Seinfeld. Yeah, and it's very much like plug in and play television, where it's just kind of like uh, th there are like continuing plots throughout episodes and stuff, but it's like you can just like watch an episode and like it's immediately funny, right? You don't really need that much context going into it. Um, yeah, this is a show that I think the rediscovery thing has to do with it again, like being on Netflix now. Um, and I think it actually has sort of like the esteem for it has actually grown in a little bit. It's definitely a show that I like grew up with in a way. Cause it was on reruns constantly. My parents would watch the reruns constantly. Um, I even remember being like very young. I think like this, like they Seinfeld reruns aired after like Sesame street, <laughs> um, or something like that. Um, 
and uh yeah just like also i feel like just like a, a quintal even though it's like a universally beloved show that i think anybody from anywhere can appreciate i feel like it's also a very like new york show and i feel like there is a, a sense that like people from like new york or maybe even northern new jersey like like the show a bit more than people from like outside like i remember meeting a lot of people in college who are not from the new york area not have as like deep a connection to seinfeld as others um yeah, well, the funny thing is that, like, the, like I, I spend a lot more time in New York now than when I did watching Seinfeld, because I really discovered Seinfeld when I was living in Ohio. And it's like the Seinfeld in the TV, or the New York in the show Seinfeld is really, like, its own, like, fictional universe filled with, like, all these interesting characters. Mm-hmm. And, like, the philosophy, like, David Putty, the soup Nazi, Frank Costanza, all these great, like, supporting characters. They, like, they all emphasize, like... I don't want to say like a philosophy because that sounds really deep, but there's all like this kind of underlying theme of like this absurd kind of cynical universe, um, which is, you know, really great. And then um, that's, that's kind of like what I'm saying. Like when I I miss TV shows, like they would kind of like build like its own little slice of earth, Mm -hmm. you know, little slice of the world populated with all these interesting characters. That's, that's kind of what I miss in a current crop of TV shows. Yeah, it's, 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 even though I was saying, like, you can just kind of watch it out of context, it is also kind of very self-referential and self-reflexive in a way that's very satisfying um, and entertaining as well. Um, number five, getting the top five, we have a show that I don't believe you've watched, uh, Fleabag. Uh, I watched, like, the first one or two episodes. Um, there was, like, a time where Fleabag was, like, omnipresent. Whereas, like, people were just constantly talking about it. And it was literally not until the COVID pandemic started <laughs> that people stopped talking about Fleabag. So it was kind of like this omnipresent thing um, that uh, I kind of resisted watching. Yeah. So I don't really have a lot to say about it. Well, it's probably because the show ended in, like, April of 2019. Um, I love Fleabag. Um, I came to it kind of later, and then I was around when, when the second season dropped. I, I really enjoy Fleabag. I, I think it's, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I could see where her, like, shtick would wear thin on certain people. Um, but to me, this is just, like, a really great show about, you know, um, it, it's very funny. It's very dark, too. I, I feel like it's very, like, cliche now to be like, oh, it's funny, but it's also about, like, loss and pain and trauma and all that. But, like, that that is what this show is. Um, and it also kind of exists, like, in a weird universe of London where... Like only one person has a name. Um, it's it's very sort of like artful the way they they get around certain things. Um, it's just very memorable show, very raunchy, very funny. Um, but there but there is a there, it is also like very pretentious in a way. Like as the first season, like the 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 title card, it, like it's played under like free jazz. I remember watching the first two episodes and being like, oh. This is how you know it's a show for intellectuals. They're playing free jazz. Um, the thing that it and I, if I was making a list of hundred greatest shows, it would definitely be on there. Number five is way too high. <laughs> um, may, especially because like, so Seinfeld, hundreds of episodes, or at least over hundred episodes. Mad Men, not quite that much, but a lot of episodes. Yeah, Cheers. Like, yeah, I would assume hundreds of episodes as well. Fleabag only has 12 episodes. Um, it just makes it a real apples and oranges comparison. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, so it's just so singular, right? It's like literally Phoebe Waller-Bridge's 
vision, right? Like yeah. she wrote out, wrote it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, well, I mean, it it is episodic, right? Yeah, it it is. I mean, there, there's an overarching arc that's redundant through each of the two seasons. But yeah, it is it is episodic. Yeah. Okay. Um. But it just still feels a little out of place for that reason, I would say. Um. And then, you know, it's just we're really unsure of like its legacy in terms of like right. who's who's taking inspiration from it. What's it going to? inspire what's the legacy of it like is there going to be an american version of fleabag that runs for 200 (laughs) episodes that would be something um i don't know that they'd be able to pull it off it has greg daniels on the phone right yeah it has launched fever waller bridge's uh writing career though i mean she's writing everything now i feel like um anyway number four we have a show whose entry i'm sure is not controversial at all which is the wire um and he, your, your thoughts on the wire lewis uh well the wire is is great you should <laughs> definitely uh watch it i don't think i'm the first person to say that but um yeah you know this little underseen show on hbo um definitely there's no like there's truly like other than like other david simon projects there's truly no other show that like understood like the writing of like we're going to like do like they say a novel for television. No other show I've seen has implemented the writing as well as the wire has where it, um, and also just like the scale of like, they meticulously build out like a fictional version of an American city. Mm -hmm. Um, Every season they add another layer to it. It's just truly great. Memorable characters, um, interesting plots, uh, funny says a lot about America. Um, And, you know, I think, to me, it never really, um, it ended, it was as good as it, you know, it was as good as it ever was when it got to the end. So, great show. Um, uh, if anything, I think it should be higher on the list. Um, but I guess we'll get to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all of that. I just, incredibly impressive the way they were able to, um, season after season, like like you said, build out their version of Baltimore and just introduce, like, it felt like 10 to 15 new characters every season and it was sprawling and kind of epic, but it was never like unwieldy. You know, they, they made it all work. Um, it felt, I feel like the amount of like storytelling and character work packed into one episode of the wire is probably like more that more, uh, storytelling and character work that's packed into the entire run of some of these shows on this list. Like it just like ridiculously impressive. Um, Definitely a dense show. Definitely one of the first two episodes you might be a little lost when you watch. Um, but uh, a show that I think has really be ha- has really come to be thought of as one, one of the all-time greats. And you said, you know, you call it like an underwatched show, but it's like, I, it certainly was underappreciated in its time, right? Like it only got like a handful of Emmy nominations, if that. Um, and I, so I feel like there was a little bit of a sense that it was kind of like, the sleeper TV pick for some people, but now I think it's definitely in that upper echelon. Yeah. And it sort of, you know, helped, um, didn't launch David Simon's career, but he's done numerous other projects since then, like, Mm -hmm. uh, Treme, which is definitely like a very successor series to the wire. It's like, imagine the wire, if there wasn't crime (laughs) (laughs) and that's basically what Treme is. 
uh, Generation Kill, which I haven't seen yet. Uh, the Deuce, starring James Franco and James Franco, and um, the great miniseries uh, Show Me a Hero, um, mm-hmm. which aired not too long ago. Um, yeah, so like like I said, like The Wire kind of like shows the way that like television could have been for like the last 15 years, but unfortunately no other writers have like the skill set or tool set to like successfully duplicate it or like either they just don't want to, or like they try and they just don't get there. They just don't realize like the, the secret sauce that makes the wires, uh, the wire so special. Yeah. It does feel perhaps unrepeatable, but who knows? Maybe it, maybe it will be repeatable someday. Um, yeah, he has the show that came out this year too, right? It was like we run this city or something. Oh yeah, we own this city. That was yeah. uh, that was interesting too. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet, but I love John Bernthal, so I'm very excited to watch it. Um, it's definitely a, a good. I think Alan Sepinwall said it best when it is like it's kind of like a stripped down season six of The Wire, mm-hmm. where it, like it analyzes the fact that the you know the Wire's protagonists were cops. Yeah, and so it sort of takes like sort of the anti-cop stance that kind of has arisen over the last 10 years and it employs it there mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean i guess it's as close as season six will ever get yeah um number three on this list is a show that i think everybody's watched breaking bad um your thoughts on breaking bad lewis Woo! <laughs> um, oh gosh where do we start here so breaking bad obviously great show I have problems with it in the sense that a lot of people really like Breaking Bad and say it's like their number one show. To me, that's like saying like something like The Dark Knight <laughs> is your favorite movie. If that makes any sense, Breaking Bad mm-hmm. is a very well-made, well-executed, fun show. It is not a deep show with lots of themes about America or, you know, lots of deep themes about, you know, things, society. I think Vince Gilligan himself would also admit this. It is literally about an extremely specific character in an extremely specific situation, and it's not anything resembling reality. It is very much like a comic book type plot type show, especially when you get to, like, season three, when they kind of make... Uh, Gus Fring into like a supervillain mm-hmm. that is kind of the mode it occupies and don't get me wrong Breaking Bad is a very well made very well executed show but a lot of it is just like for some people this is like the, the closest they'll ever get to like prestige television like some people watch they'll be like oh I don't get the Sopranos and they'll watch Breaking Bad and they'll see lots of things like they'll understand frame composition mm-hmm. from Breaking Bad and they're like wow so brilliant and it's like well they're just employing like basic you know, cinematic tools, um, which to be, be fair, like not a whole bunch of other TV shows execute visuals or visual storytelling as well as Breaking Bad. But uh, I don't know, just to me, it can kind of have that feel of being overrated. And I certainly don't think I would put it at number three on my personal list. I certainly wouldn't have it over the wire just in terms of like having deep themes, but it's a very enjoyable show. I was literally watching an episode of Breaking Bad before we recorded this right now. So um, I don't know. It can't be helped. Um, its legacy certainly endures. Um, so I don't know. Um, those, those are my thoughts on Breaking Bad. Yeah, I think I agree with the most part. I think it is 
an absolutely great show. I'm totally engrossing. Like, um, the story I love to tell is that after it ended in 2013, like that, around Christmas that year, there was like basically a 24-7 marathon of Breaking Bad, like going from episode one to the last episode. And my dad, who had never seen an episode, like I just turned it on in the middle of the marathon. I was like, you should like watch this show. I think you'd love it. And my dad, who usually goes to bed at like 10 p.m., was up to like 2 a.m. every night watching Breaking Bad. <laughs> he was like that engrossed in it. And yeah, I, I think part of its stature is that I think Breaking Bad along with Mad Men, it was maybe, um, this might be a little ahistorical, but it was like, I feel like it was maybe part of like the first wave of like non-HBO prestige television, right? Like the idea that like a basic cable channel could make a show like this, I think was surprising to a lot of people. And yeah, it just it looks and is written better than like your basic, your basic basic cable drama. Um, and I think Walter White, I agree with you that I, I don't know that it's like a very deep show. I do think like the general kind of arc of Walter White and the reason he's doing what he's doing, I think did capture a kind of like anger in like 2008, like this kind of like recession era, like decline of the middle class kind of like rage. I think there's a little bit in there. I don't think that was necessarily Vince Gilligan's uh, intent, but I think it did resonate with people because of that. Um, but yeah, compared to The Wire, I wouldn't say... Well, certainly as deep as The Wire. I would even say Better Call Saul. Its spinoff is probably a little deeper. I think I got a little bit more out of that from like a thematic perspective than I did with Breaking Bad. Um, but from like a, sh a sheer like thrill and like craft uh, perspective, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, there are better shows, but, it, but Breaking Bad is certainly up there. Yeah, it basically just executes the TV formula to a T. It mm -hmm. doesn't really, like, reinvent the wheel so much. You could argue that, like, the portrayal of, you know, you have a character and he deliberately goes through a change over the course of the show. That's what I would think is the most novel thing about Breaking Bad. But, um, yeah, like, it's... Um, that that That's pretty much what I would say, is that it basically, other than that, you have this mission of like we're gonna change our protagonist and have him go through like this deliberate change. It basically, other than that, it's basically just well-written television, executed very, very well, almost perfectly. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, speaking of well-executed television, number two is The Simpsons, um, the long-running. Is it technically the longest-running sitcom ever? If you consider it a sitcom. Yes. Yeah. It is. It is run much longer than. Um, the Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, and <laughs> it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yes, it's literally been on television since 1987. If you include the the segments that were on the Tracy Ullman show, it's literally always been on television. Yeah, and that's in, in TV. The book that's the argument Alan Sepinwall, Matt Zoller cites to make is like the show is television, right? The show is popular culture, like both just through the way it was written and the way it was absorbed by the culture. Like this show is American popular culture, basically. Yeah. It's like, you can't, it's just so, everything is so brilliant. Like just the idea of like Homer, his job is working at the nuclear power plant. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just like, you, you don't even think about like how brilliant that is. It's just like, it's just always been there. Like it's like written on a stone tablet, you know, that's how mm -hmm. the impression you get when you come to the Simpsons. Cause it's already, it was already there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but no, I, I've never seen The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm just kidding. Um, Simpsons is uh, it's great. Um, I mean, what more is there to say? The The Simpsons occupies the rare, 
distinction of being like many other shows on this list you could argue that it's like they change television mm-hmm. very few shows i think you could say argue earn the distinction of like they changed television the face of television twice mm. so like the simpsons i would argue like its first change was like the first three first four seasons like they brought back the idea of the animated sitcom in primetime television it it didn't exist uh they tried it with the flintstones and many other successor shows like the roman holidays or wait till father gets home it was basically like a dead genre and the simpsons successfully brought animation back to primetime and it it built like a very stable foundation of like introducing uh fun and interesting characters and it was a show that was like it was as heartfelt as any live action sitcom could be while also being funny um the second change was in seasons five through eight or whatnot basically the rest of the 90s they basically set the standard for any subsequent live action uh single camera sitcom like basically like the gag a minute wackiness supporting characters quick inserts quick cuts joke 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 wackiness that basically um i think malcolm the malcolm in the middle you could argue is like the first one to really do it. and then basically like everything since like the office like scrubs the office 30 rock community everything i think you can all argue that it, like none of that stuff exists without the simpsons so it's just you know truly tremendous its legacy you know um obviously i'm not going to say matt Groening doesn't get enough credit because like all those guys <laughs> make millions of dollars but um yeah just just truly great and it's it's still on the air it's hard to believe i got into the simpsons when season 13 was airing and i remember feeling like i was late to the party mm-hmm. and now it's on season 34 <laughs> and i feel feel incredibly old <laughs> Um, I have not watched nearly as much Simpsons as you have. I really didn't, like, watch a full episode. That's not true. Um, I never saw the most of it when we were living together in college. Um, and it is a show that, like, does always surprise me with how funny I find it. Um, and you talked about, like, we talked about, like, shows with, like, lots of characters and stuff. And, like, just, like, the side characters in The Simpsons, like Hans Molman, like, Nick Riviera, Krusty the Clown. Like, how some of them have become kind of, like... Um, cultural figures in their own right is, is wildly impressive. Let me ask you, though, do you hold the fact that, like, the past, perhaps even, like, 10 to 15 seasons, like, that they're not held in high esteem, do you hold that against The Simpsons when it comes to a ranking like this? Um, yeah, I mean, that's the big question, I guess, when it comes to analyzing The Simpsons, is that it definitely... Um, I mean, everyone talks about the first eight seasons... That's basically like when a lot of people refer to The Simpsons, that's when they refer to. I would argue that, that The Simpsons is still good through like season 15. Um, and then then it's uh, a lot of uh, peaks and valleys from there on. And it's interesting how the show has changed um, since then. Um, I I don't watch a lot of the modern day Simpsons. I, I There's a guy on YouTube who does lots of great Simpsons videos uh, the real Jims who like is a big Simpsons fan and he like talks about like modern stuff that's happening and I watched some of it and it's interesting how like the show is basically like rebooted itself hmm. without doing like a full on reboot. Um, so I don't know. I mean, that'll be the big question, I guess, whenever the show wraps up, um, whenever that'll be, it'll be a interesting day in television history when Fox and Gracie films makes that announcement. Um, I don't know. 
I mean, you could argue there was like the same argument going on probably before like the Simpsons movie and after the Simpsons movie, and that really felt like, yeah, the Simpsons are still here, you know, they're still relevant, um, and we'll see. I mean, they've just been recently acquired by Disney. Um, there'll probably be another Simpsons movie in a few years that'll probably rekindle some of that same feeling or energy, but I don't know. I mean, it's still extremely popular. It's basically, it basically exists. The show exists basically to promote the idea of Simpsons merchandise. <laughs> Cause the show, I think they always say it's like a lost leader, mm-hmm. like it in terms of like ratings and stuff, but like it exists to keep promoting the idea of the Simpsons. Um, so you can keep buying your Marge Simpson keychains. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, it just, it, I, I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer. We'll just have to cross that bridge when we come to it. But I mean, 15 seasons of great television. Well, what, (laughs) what other show can compete? Yeah, no, I think that's definitely, definitely a fair point. Um, so number one on this list which I feel like might have been easy to predict, um, is The Sopranos. Uh, the, the trailblazing HBO show, the masterpiece of, like, the, the, the great American novel on television form. Uh, what are your, we, we talked about The Sopranos. We talked about The Many Saints of Nork. But uh, in, in, a, in a nutshell, Lewis, what, what are your feelings and thoughts on The Sopranos and, it, and, and The Sopranos being number one? Well, as lots of TV critics like to point out, Tony Soprano... In the first episode, he famously says to his therapist, like, I feel like I'm coming in at the end of things. Mm-hmm. But obviously, Tony Soprano was in many ways like the beginning of lots of things for uh, TV drama. Um, you know, I, we, I'm we i from New Jersey. You're from New Jersey. Obviously, this is a great like New Jersey show mm-hmm. that I didn't really appreciate so much when I first watched it. But um, I, I would say the show gets better every time you rewatch it. What I think is most interesting about the show compared to like modern day shows is that it is like a TV show. Yeah. Like it creates a world where characters engage in stories that have a beginning, middle, and end every mm-hmm. week. And, you know, it's it all the writers and stuff, they come from the old school television model. Like Dave David Chase famously was writing on the Rockford Files and Northern Exposure mm-hmm. and other stuff. And he like despised the idea of like network television, like what you couldn't do, you know, act breaks probably interfering with stuff and network interference. So a lot of the Sopranos is like a reaction to that, which um, I always point to when I have my interpret my thoughts on the show's ending. Um, I do think the last three seasons of the Sopranos are significantly better than the first three seasons to like a modern viewer. I feel like a modern viewer might be underwhelmed watching the first two seasons. Definitely. Um, but yeah, The Sopranos is great. Um, it, I think <clears throat> Raphael Bob's Waksberg talked about this when he talked to Alan Sepinwall. It's like, it's kind of weird how people always just assume The Sopranos is number one. But I mean, it's like hard to argue. It's definitely a great show. I don't know if I personally would have it number one on my list, but I, you know, I definitely would have it on a list of, you know, the greatest TV shows. Similarly to Mad Men, it's, um, without having sort of like the, uh, shock and awe of Mad Men's production design. This sort of is like a great TV show. Yeah, it does, it does feel like it's almost like it's become the Citizen Kane of TV or it's like the default answer for greatest TV show of all time. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think your point about it being like a TV show, like Alan Steppenwall always complains about the idea of a TV show. Like uh, creators will say like, oh, it's not really a TV show. It's more of a 10 episode movie. Like The Sopranos is like the, I think, like exact opposite of that, right? Like it's this very deep, layered, prestige story, but it's told in a very episodic format. And yes, there are the overarching stories that sort of begin and conclude at the beginning and end of each season, but you also have kind of the foibles of other characters within that and other stories that happen just within one episode as well. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, I think really, you know, like you said, a great New Jersey show. As an Italian-American, I can say a great Italian-American show. Um, just just really fantastic. James Gandolfini, I think, is probably one of the greatest TV performances ever. Um, just Definitely. Just, just, and, and as is Edie Falco um, as Car- Carmela Soprano. Just, and, and, and then the, the supporting cast, my goodness. Um, what's his name? Michael Imperioli. Um, Tony Sirico just passed away. Tony Sirico, R.I.P. Um, from Bay Ridge, which is where Joe my, Pantoliano. Joe Pantoliano. Um, Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Ida, Tur- Ida Tudor- Turturro, excuse me. <laughs> Frank, Frank Vincent Frank from the last Vincent. two se- seasons. Um, the guy who plays Johnny Sack. Uh, I forget his name. And then, oh, what's her name? Drea DeMatteo as well. Um, Steve Shrippa. Steve Shrippa. Who gained all that weight. <laughs> <laughs> Did he actually? No. no. Oh, I was say. <laughs> oh, and uh, Dominic Chinese. Yes. Oh, he's, he's, he's great, Dominic Chinese. So good. Um, yeah. Really, just I, the, only bad, the only bad performance in the show, I'd argue, is Steve Van Zandt. He's actually not a very good actor at all. But, <laughs> um, yeah, fantastic show. Um, if you haven't watched it, I like I, I said in the Many Saints of Norwich episode, I actually hadn't watched an episode until last summer. Um, best decision I made all summer. Um, just really, really lives up to the hype. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's okay. great. Yeah. Um, that was uh, our review of the top ten. We're gonna take a quick commercial break, and then we will get to uh, to some other points of discussion here. Enjoying this podcast and wondering where you can find more intelligent and insightful content just like it? Just head over to thepostcard.com, where you can find the latest opinion and analysis on politics, music, film, television, and a litany of other topics. In addition to our articles and podcasts, you can also check out our visual features, like our floor fight bracket, our 2024 Republican nomination draft, and in presidential election and midterm election years, a map with all of our analysis. And if you like what you read, you can subscribe to our newsletter and, if you're feeling generous, donate to the site so we can keep churning out the content you know and love. If you love the site so much that you want to write for it, drop us a line at contact at thepostwriter.com. We're always looking for new contributors and willing to read any pitch you may have. That's the great thing about The Postwriter. It's not just about us, it's also about you. So head over to thepostwriter.com and see if there's anything that piques your interest. We bet there is. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Pony Express and our episode on Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest TV Shows of All Time. So we were just we just got done talking about the top 10 list. Um, and, you know, we had some opinions, some shows we thought definitely should be on there, some we thought should not be on there. But I think what we're going to do now, well, I know what we're going to do now, is we're going to have a chance to kind of manipulate the list 
um, to meet our whims. So this first thing we're going to do, um, you know, there's there's this hockey podcast I listen to, and one of the hosts, Sean McIndoe, talks about, you know, how people will argue about, like, who the five or ten greatest players of all time are. And, you know, if you make a list, somebody will say, well, this player should be on here. And then he'll say, well, then which one do you take off, right? Because it's one thing to complain that show isn't on there, but if you're only keeping it to, like, 100 or so, that means if, if there's something you think should be on there, you should have to take one off as well. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to name three shows we think should be on the list and then three shows we would take off in, in order to add those shows to it. Um, so how do you want to do this list? Do you want to do, we say show to add, say show to remove, and we bounce back and forth? Or do we want to name our three that we add and three that we remove? Yeah, let's, let's bounce back and forth. Okay. Um, so why, why don't you go first? Why don't you tell me what you want to add and, and what you want to replace? Uh, what? So I think one of the things that's interesting about this list compared to like the TV, the book mm-hmm. list is, um, that, uh, it, it was taken out of, uh, the restrictions of it had to be like a narrative show that was like telling a story. Cause as we all know, every show from 1948, to 2000 was telling a complete story from beginning to end. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, no, I mean, it opened it up so you could put like the tonight show with Johnny Carson on the list. So, one of the shows that I think is sorely missing, at least from a historical standpoint, is um, the uh, Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, mm. which was definitely like the most incendiary political satire that will ever air on network television to the point where two presidents were like getting involved, trying to get it like removed. <laughs> um, I'm, of course, referring to Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. Um so, and I, you know, it's ran for three seasons. I highly recommend everyone read David Biancooli's book, Dangerously Funny, about the Smothers Brothers and the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. Um, so, yeah, three seasons of a show that basically was put on to just uh, fill time uh, competing against Bonanza while they found another show, but then it became a surprise hit. And then they, like, um, said lots of, uh, you know, did lots of political satirizing things you know it was the late 1960s and uh yeah just basically i think it's it's a big uh, gaping hole in this list considering that it's not a narrative show it's a variety show but it's definitely one of the more notable shows and like i said it's probably the only time there'll be actual like legitimate political satire in network primetime television that actually like makes an impact and uh the show that i would replace it with is uh i don't want to just like name shows that i haven't seen um i'll, I'll replace it with the Chappelle show mm. i mean the Chappelle show is great but obviously dave Chappelle's gotten a lot of flack right now so um i'll, I'll take it off the list as like punishment for dave Chappelle <laughs> and his bad behavior right now and honestly i think Chappelle probably takes all well i mean obviously it's his show but you know I, neil brennan his co-creator is a very funny man who I don't think gets enough credit for the show and is always like overlooked when people talk about the Chappelle show. So there, I'll replace it with uh, the Smothers Brothers. Bold, but I, but I think you could very much make the argument there is no Chappelle show without the Smothers Brothers. Um, also, I, I would argue Chappelle show. Have you watched like a front to back episode recently? Like not all of it holds up. I, don't, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I'd have to watch it again, I guess. It's like, it's good. Like the high points are very, very high, but there's definitely like, and with any sketch TV show, I would say there, there are moments that I think are just kind of 
it feels like he's just kind of like mugging to the camera in certain sketches and like that's the joke um but still a great show but it's, it's now off the list loose as replacer of the smothers brothers um so my choice uh not quite as sophisticated um but i'm going to add spongebob squarepants <laughs> um the long-running nickelodeon tv show um it is, and I'm adding it because one, I mean, it's like it was a legitimate cultural phenomenon, right? Like how I, I feel like SpongeBob, as far as like recognizability goes, is probably up there now with the Flintstones, um, with the Simpsons, with sort of similar animated characters. And yes, this is a children's show. It's not like an adult cartoon, um, but it was a show that I felt like definitely bridged the gap between generations. Like I have, you know, vivid memories of watching SpongeBob with my parents and us both like actually laughing out loud watching it and just like the very surreal kind of bizarre humor on that show you know the great thing about cartoons is you can kind of do whatever you want to a certain extent um but just the way spongebob would kind of incorporate um you know like like photographs almost yeah Um, insert shots weird live action stuff sometimes yeah like the one episode where they go like up to land and they're just like it's literally just a sponge like on a metal stick walking around um very entertaining still holds up if you watch some some old episodes now um obviously i know like shows like ren and stimpy did similar things before it but but this is a show it's still on the air i believe um and and uh it has it has spinoffs now (laughs) it does yeah, like the Patrick Star show and oh. like SpongeBob at Camp, I think, which yeah, is like a prequel show. Camp Coral, you're correct. Um, just an absolute powerhouse, um, and like just influential on like internet culture. I think you could argue that like its visual style was kind of influential on some early YouTube videos. There are SpongeBob memes all over the place now, so I go with that. And keeping with the uh, somewhat nautical theme, I would actually take off Squid Game from this list. <laughs> i i we, we talked about school game in a prior episode i think it's a good show very entertaining um there's only one season of it and like the last episode is pretty bad so i feel like that kind of disqualifies it in my mind for like a greatest of all time maybe if there are like two or three other really good seasons it can stay on the list but as of now it's like i think we gotta we gotta kind of t- t- take stock a little bit now and and and, and take it off for, for the time being yeah it's definitely one that I could see not making the cut uh, if you did this in a couple of years because it's so low on the list. It's only 95. Yeah. I could definitely see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, pinging the ball back to me. Uh, a show that, uh, again, following my idea of like opening it up to non-narrative-driven shows, differentiating it up, I think it's hard to argue um, that... Uh, an extremely important TV show that you could definitely put on the list. Uh, 60 Minutes mm. on CBS. I think that would be a good show. Obviously, um, I don't know. <laughs> Mike Mike could probably put it into words better than I can, but I would say, you know, one of the few remaining bastions of uh, well-thought-out, excellent journalism, TV mm. journalism especially, a show that's had actual, like, real-world impact. Um, it's basically unchanged from like when it started in 1970 uh, i know it's over 50 years at this point yeah but um extremely great definitely 
definitely probably not the most impactful show in terms of popular culture. I mean, everyone knows the ticking clock and the I'm I'm Mike Wallace and then Andy Rooney famously yes. at the end of <laughs> a lot of episodes. But, you know, an extremely important TV show that, um, you know, for, for some people, uh, Elaine mentioned this in the uh, infamous Lost episode of Seinfeld, the Puerto Rican day, that it's like 60 minutes as part of her like unwinding from mm-hmm. the weekend. It's like I need to watch 60 minutes. And, you know, it's been a, a fixture of the CBS time slot, Sundays at 7 o'clock. Um, you know, I'm sure there are individual moments and stuff you can quibble with, so I'm not going to put it super high on the list. But um, I think it's definitely a good, like, number 100 spot. And uh, unfortunately, I haven't seen what we do in the shadows, so I'll, I'll replace it with that. Um, but I, I know Mike might get angry. <laughs> I, I've seen the first two episodes, uh, not the first two episodes, excuse me, the first two seasons of what we do in the shadows. It's a good show. It's entertaining. Um, I think that's a little, again, like let's give it a couple of years for what we do in the shadows. I think, um, 60 minutes. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. Like I, there are times when I watch 60 minutes and I'm like, the way these people are asking these questions is like a little leading and strange, but at the same time, it's like, there aren't many like v- like you look at like Dateline or like 2020 or something like that. And it feels like those have kind of become like true crime shows almost. Whereas 60 minutes, it's like, where else are you going to be able to see coverage of like the war in Ukraine? Like uh, a lack of sewage access in rural Alabama. And then like also an interview with like Jason Sudeikis or whoever the hot celebrity is at the time. Right. It is just sort of like, you know, they called a news magazine. And to me, it is kind of like the, idea of what a magazine should be where it covers these very broad important and like appealing topics across the spectrum my dad is like a 60 minutes obsessive i feel like it's like a very dad thing to do but he watches it like religiously every sunday um so yeah i i actually considered putting that on my list but i i didn't end up doing it but it was definitely like on my short list for sure um for me, I, I, I picked a show, and I know I, I've kind of, like, ragged on recency bias, but I'm, I'm going to display some here. Um, it's, a, it's a show we've, we've more or less talked about before, but I'm going to add Nathan for you. Um, you know, obviously, Nathan Fielder's, one could say, parody of, of reality television, but obviously the conceit of the show is that he goes to these small businesses, uh, offers to help them, and then comes up with these sort of, like, cockamamie schemes uh with you know these convoluted business practices everyone gets a good laugh out of it um obviously very entertaining very funny but also tries to get these kind of like deeper truths about human interaction the way we try to portray ourselves interact with other people um obviously finding francis the final episode of the series is this big sprawling kind of like documentary about a man trying to find his long lost love that really blurs the um, line between performance and reality. And um, that obviously led to the rehearsal, which we, we've, we've spoken about at length on this podcast. Um, so I'm going to go with Nathan for you. And to take it off, again, this is a show I've seen one episode of and that I quite liked. And I think I would like this show if I watched it. I mean, take the crown off. Um, I, I, I've heard it's excellent, but it also just kind of seems like a prestige drama about a royal family. I feel like there are other shows like that already, so I'm going to replace it with Nathan for you. Interesting. And I also do think, um, in terms of Nathan for you being overlooked on the list, I do think like the TV work of Sasha Baron Cohen, mm. you could argue, deserves a place on the list, like Dolly G Show and Who is America. 
just definitely like extraordinary television that like it's like watching a car accident because it's like real <laughs> like you can't take your eyes off it but um this is the third and final one right yeah so um you know there are lots of tv shows that uh i have that it's like i'd like to make my own list and then you get um you realize how hard it is to make a list of 100 tv mm-hmm. shows or even 50 and put them in any kind of order um what do i want to put so like the other the other caveat with this list is that it's open to like the globe, like mm-hmm. around the world. So like you can do stuff that's not American. Um, so I was happy to see something like I'm Alan Partridge on the list because it's a very funny show. Steve Coogan's been playing the character for like 30 years now, and it's um good, very funny show. But I'll, I'll pick another show. Um, Armando Iannucci was involved with uh, Alan Partridge, but I'll pick another show that I think was overlooked, which is called The Thick of It, which is a great show um scathing political satire of uh britain which uh since it's ended has only gotten to near <laughs> unparable levels of uh incompetence and ridicule mm. so much so that they had to bring back spitting image which is basically like a punching uh punch and judy show for mm. british society um but uh yeah the the thick of it a great show spawned um the wonderful film in the loop uh, later inspired veep as like a kind of spiritual successor um there's just something about it like veep veep like definitely uh touches a lot of the same comedic beats but there's just something i maybe it's like the accents or like the bleak the sparseness and the bleakness or the dourness of like just british culture but it's just the idea of like that they could be like reshuffled or call a snap election at any time i guess but just something adds like elements of danger to the whole uh, affair that makes it seem more like dangerous and therefore more funny at least in my opinion a uh, great show definitely check it all out um what would i replace it with um uh the good place oh probably like the, the antithesis of the good place <laughs> yes in in many respects the good place is a show that um i have problems with um and I, I, I challenge the notion when people say it's like a perfect TV show. I do think there are definitely flaws in The Good Place. And uh, Michael Schur's like comedic ethos since like uh, Parks and Rec and subsequent works have like kind of annoyed me. I don't want to like talk about it at length here because mm. it'll just go on and on. And then Michael have to cut around it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the Good Place is a show that I think is uh, kind of underrated um overrated you mean uh, uh yeah <laughs> overrated so i would i would say hey um if you want something a little bit different watch the thick of it yeah i i, I like the good place but I, I agree with it's certainly not perfect so uh, i was wondering if this was going to happen and it did i also had the thick of it as my addition as well um oops that's, that's hey that's fine i think that's that's interesting we both we both came to it um, I co-sign everything you said about it. I think what makes it kind of like different than Veep outside of different setting, the very obvious differences is that like with Veep, there's this idea that like the vice president carries this like sense of prestige um, and kind of like glamour. There's like a celebrity element to it. Whereas the thick of it, they are talking about like, you know, some like lowly like minister in a cabinet, right? Like the idea is that it's like they are ostensibly a high ranking politician but they are still working like dogs. They get like no sleep and it's like a miserable existence. And that kind of drudgery is 
what what turns that office into like basically a powder keg and there are moments where it's like i i can't imagine this scene is like not ending in a fist fight when you watch the thick of it and in one scene it finally does and you're like finally this happened like um it peter capaldi absolutely brilliant um as malcolm this is a really really incredible show um and i'm surprised too because veep is on this list and like i think you like there's no veep without the thick of it right and so I was. It almost feels like having Veep on this list and having the thick of it off of it. It feels like having the U.S. office without the U.K. office, right? Yeah. Um, which again, it, my, my guess is this is like a like as far as the voting body goes, it's probably mostly Americans. Um, and it's, it's interesting because I do believe the the U.S. office is actually ranked higher than the U.K. office on this list. Um, but that that to me was probably the most glaring oversight. Um. And then to replace it, I would actually replace it with Fargo. I would, excuse me, I would replace Fargo with the thick of it. Um, I like Fargo. I thought the first season was excellent. The second season was good. The third season was actually not good. And the fourth season was like, okay to like, just kind of meandering. Um, It's a fun show. The anthology format is entertaining, but I just think like, it's basically just like kind of like two for four at this point. And to me, that's just like not high enough, not high enough a batting average, even though it would be literally the best batting average in baseball history. But um, it's just, I, I just think that's, that's. Yeah, if you could split it up into seasons, that'd be interesting. And yeah. then I think we would see a lot more uh, True Detective season two mm-hmm. topping the chart. Well, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say season one. I was like, oh, yeah, totally. But like. <laughs> Like miss like I like a show I was kind of surprised it wasn't on here. I actually haven't watched the third season yet, but like Mr. Robot, right? Like I feel like if you divide into seasons, like Mr. Robot season one is definitely on the list, right? Yeah, I think Mr. Robot. It, I, I mean, you could argue that, but I think you know the whole show holds up pretty well. So I think it's a glaring omission. There's a whole bunch of things that I think is like missing from the list, and I could keep going on and replacing stuff. Did Did you have certain things you wanted to call out on like your short list for for replacement? For just like shows I would add, yeah, yeah. Well, like Mr. Robot, uh, <laughs> Boardwalk Empire is mm. a great show. Uh, Moonlighting, which I think will be coming to streaming this week, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, uh, uh, like, like I said, Dally G show, um, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle was to pull one that was in TV, the book that's not on the list, along with SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, the Jack Benny program, obviously was the uh the standard for american television comedy for like 30 years Mm -hmm. if you include the radio um and uh i don't know i think i'll stop there oh i think it's weird that nothing no mike judge shows made the list there's no beavis and butthead no king of the hill no silicon valley it seems like a glaring omission to just totally shut out mike judge from having any role in american comedy that's a good point the last too. 30 30 years especially because i feel like king of the hill has also been a show that's been kind of like rediscovered by millennials in a way um so that's a good point um i didn't have like a, a huge like i, I kind of came to my choices pretty quickly and didn't have like a huge list of other shows but um i was a little surprised the colbert report wasn't on it um maybe that felt a little redundant with um the Daily Show. The Daily Show. And I feel like also Colbert has, if anything, damaged his legacy in the last few years. Um, 
<laughs> by uh was anyone watching the colbert show like the last three years he was like tired of doing it <laughs> i i wasn't watching it i was um, i remember watching it with um in college mm-hmm. and it was like i don't know like six months before they made the announcement that he or maybe like less months then he was making uh replacing david letterman mm-hmm. and i remember it was like the stephen colbert book club mm-hmm. and i remember watching it and i'm like he looks so tired it's <laughs> like bored like he wants to do something else and then he ended up doing it and then it's like he he got way more excited so you know i don't i don't begrudge him um from doing that but yeah but yeah i mean i guess it was an important moment in tv history that'll you know be memory memory hold yeah i guess as the years go on mm-hmm. um yeah i would say so i think that that was i mean i had like other stuff here that wasn't really like considering that seriously like i did have the rehearsal here I had Severance just because I watched it very recently. Uh, I had Pen15, um, which is a show that I hope kind of gets a, a little more... L- Law and Order. I, I did not have it on the list. There was... Oh, you, you... oh I, there's another big one that I think is missing. Homicide, Life on the Street, mm. which was um, David Simon's like first TV project, which he you know helped do with Tom Fontana, mm-hmm. Barry Levinson, like one of the strangest, most innovative shows to ever air on network TV about like working the homicide division in a in baltimore really could be quite philosophical and you know um unexpected at points especially in the early season so i think that's a big glaring omission yeah i was also a little surprised that uh that conan wasn't on this list specifically the the late uh, excuse me the late night of conan o'brien um yeah, I, that's I, a good one to pick. I figured I'd have a bigger footprint. And, like, my, my personal favorite's Late Late Show of Craig Ferguson. I knew it was not going to be on the list. But if I were making a list of my 100 favorite shows, it would definitely be on there. Um, okay. That's the thing with these shows is that they – it's all uh, – there's no – you know, there's never going to be, like, a DVD set yeah. of the complete – craig ferguson mm-hmm. it's just going to exist as like youtube videos mm-hmm. which is ironic because that's basically all they exist to be now exactly yeah youtube videos um yeah i would i personally the thing that's tricky is that like um what's on the list right now is a tonight show with johnny carson and the late night with david letterman mm-hmm. specific like which is specifically referring to his nbc years so i don't think a lot of us people our age like are aware of like Mm -hmm. the nbc incarnation of david letterman because it was like basically under like lock and key for so long and a lot of that material has been started to be uploaded to like the world about wide pants youtube channel or whatever Mm -hmm. but uh to a lot of us like the late night with conan o'brien was much more memorable and um worth watching than um late night with david letterman so that's definitely something i would replace and uh uh you know tonight show with johnny carson I mean, obviously, like, you know, we get it, mm-hmm. but it is kind of like a thing of, like, he was the only game in town for 30 years right, because yeah. he had a iron-fisted control <laughs> of over everything. So um, that makes it kind of hard to watch, in my opinion. But, you know, I would I would replace both of those with Conan and Craig Ferguson, you know, on my personal list. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like it was, like, they, they went for, like, the prototype, right? The Or Paragon, really. Um, the ideal form in the Tonight Show. And then yeah, they, I mean, you could, and then, and then Johnny they, Carson was, te- it is like, is television, yeah. like the definition of it. And then they went for the deconstruction David Letterman, right? I feel like that was probably the, the mindset for a lot of people. All right. 
so similar exercise here. Um, there may be some shows that, that we enjoyed on this list, but we think are maybe ranked too high or too low. So I suggested we, we swap placements of shows here. Um, and so I, I, I think I said, like, just, just swap two of them. We can do however many we want, but, but I'll, I'll throw it to you first, Lewis. If you had to swap two shows, what, what would you swap? Um, like, do they have to be right next to each other? No, no, no. You can take any show that's ranked higher than another and just switch their places. Hmm. That is interesting. I'd probably... Ooh. <laughs> I mean, like, we talked about it I mean, I, I don't know. That's probably something you'll say, but um, uh, I'll switch uh, the Muppet Show mm. at number, oh gosh, ninety two with um, Sesame Street. <laughs> okay. I know that seems really lame, right? <laughs> Twenty six. Um, I don't know. I th- I feel like the the Muppet Show had more of an impact on me, and uh, pop culture in general. It was um, I think definitely probably. I mean, it's hard to argue because, like, a lot of the... I mean, Sesame Street's on, like, every day, so you can, like, watch it and you Mm -hmm. can, like, access it. But, like, The Muppet Show was, like, under lock and key and, like, rights issues, so it was, like, underseen for, like, a long time. But now it's all available on Disney... Well, almost all available on Disney+. Plus. But, yeah, so you can watch it. And it's a great little time capsule of uh, Jimmy Carter's America (laughs) in terms of the guest stars that they have. Um, Yeah. yeah check it out i mean sesame street's great too but but like like, you know when was the last time you watched sesame street probably like 20 years or something right (laughs) yeah i would say so so. um no that's an interesting choice um yeah i haven't watched much of like the original muppet show but i definitely grew up in a muppets loving household um so i saw a lot of the movies and i like the movies so um yeah a good choice i so we talked about this earlier atlanta being ranked too highly um i think i would swap atlanta at number nine with hmm i i i was gonna say 30 rock at number 20 but now that i think about it But is but then is number nine too high for Thirty Rock? You know. Um, yes. <laughs> I'm gonna swap it with Twin Peaks, which is currently at number sixteen. Um, I know there's kind of like a dead period in like season two a little bit of where Twin Peaks is not so good, but um, I mean just like a like a real like you know just the idea that like Dave Lynch was allowed to make Twin Peaks in the first place is pretty amazing and definitely sort of. You know, he brought he brought the art house to your television set, and I think that is commendable, and it's a great show, um, and spawned even more great television in the form of Twin Peaks: The Return. So I will put that at number nine. Yeah, I mean, Twin Peaks is you know fantastic, um, and, and it wasn't that just David Lynch bringing the art house; it was Mark Frost bringing yes. his years of experience as quality television writer from like Hill Street Blues, and um, <clears throat> lots of uh, historical 
stuff to um, your television screen. So it's great. And obviously its legacy endures um, in the shows, you know, that it spawned in the wake. Obviously Northern Exposure gets commonly cited, even though they were produced at like the same time. Uh, the X-Files, uh, The Sopranos, in terms of like the dream imagery and stuff. So yeah, Twin, Twin Peaks is fantastic. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, you wish you could have seen when it first aired week to week. And we kind of got to experience that with the third season in that glorious summer of 2017, <laughs> which in, in kind of ways I think about as like the end of television, like <laughs> weekly television. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is, you know, just extraordinary. And uh, yeah, I think it's like just the right length. Like you say, there's like a dead period mm. and like some of those episodes are kind of hard to watch, but like we have the advantage of, you can just, uh, watch the next one right afterwards, so it's not that big of a deal. But yeah, that is good true. swap. Thanks, your swap was good too. All right, let let let's wrap things up here. So um, you, you referenced it before, Raphael Bob Waxberg, creator of BoJack Horseman, and a few other shows. Um, his ballot uh, for for this uh, exercise was very interesting. So it included not just names of regular TV shows, but also included things like. The annual airing of It's a Wonderful Life and Grover as Waiter Sketches on Sesame Street. And I believe another one was um, uh, Michael... Who's the Disney guy? Is it Michael Eisner? Michael Eisner. Yeah, Michael Eisner introducing the wonderful world of... Wiz- uh, wonderful world of Wisney. Wonderful world of Disney um, on TV. Just these very sort of like... They weren't TV shows necessarily, but sort of like television moments and... and, and, and uh, pieces of shows that were particularly memorable that he thought like deserved uh, recognition is there anything like that that you would like if you had to come up with something like that was there anything like that you would consider sort of like worthy of enshrinement in the same way uh i mean i was like thinking about it like the super bowl yeah you could argue mm-hmm. like twilight zone marathons <laughs> um oh um I think about this a lot, like just like, um, like Cartoon Network, like mm. the bumpers and stuff. And it felt like, you know, you were part of something when you watch Cartoon Network all day. Mm-hmm. Like they'd have just like, and like just the schedule, like the new shows followed by like the classic Looney Tunes and like the Acme Hour and like Tune Heads. Just like something like that, I guess. The stuff I would put on my list. Some, on uh, as Don Draper might say, some unconquerable nostalgia trip that uh perpetually reminds me how i'm growing older and will never experience those feelings ever again yeah no that's 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 not a bad choice yeah i was wondering like what 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 i would put on that list the super bowl i think is very a very obvious choice um i do almost wonder like this is a very uh stupid choice but like like I almost feel like the 2016 Republican primary debates could be on that list just as like something that gripped the nation for like very bad reasons, but was like became musty television at some point. Um, the first 2020 presidential debate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could argue the, the Nixon Kennedy debate in 1960. Um, yeah, that's true. I'm trying to think of like anything else, like that's particularly, memorable but but i think you're you're like the super bowl i think is like the most obvious choice i would say um 
And even if you want to like narrow down to, to certain moments, I mean, you could even say the Olympics too, maybe, um, if, if, we're, if we're sticking with sporting events. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I have much else to, to add to that. Um, just sticking with politics, like I, I keep dipping into the politics express well, but it's like, I almost feel like um, Katie Couric's interviews with Sarah Palin. Like, I almost wonder if those will be like, the last truly impactful sort of like interviews to happen on like network news, right? Like this, she didn't literally say I can see Russia from my house, but that's where the joke comes from. It's like, I, I do wonder if we'll ever have like a similar moment that was kind of absorbed by the culture like that. And then probably ended up influencing an election because of it. Um, anyway. Well, I think we, we've, we've done TV to death. I think we've said everything we could possibly can about this medium. Um, that said, is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap this up? Uh, no, uh, I'm good. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to The Pony Express. Um, you can uh, find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Please visit, visit us on thepostwriter.com where you can not only find this podcast, but things that I write, things that Lewis writes. Um, you can find me on Twitter at mlevito. You can find me on Letterboxd at Ameramike. Um, Lewis. Yeah, and um, you can find me on Twitter at, at the Lewis Ryan, and on Letterboxd as well. Um, I, I did some work on a bit on a show that was also not included on this list, uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Um that you can check out right now on the Gizmoplex. You can rent episodes for as little as $5, so check that out. And um, uh, please uh, rate, like, and subscribe this podcast. Yeah, you can also listen to another podcast Lewis and I appear on, uh, The Visitors Might Be Listening. Uh, season 2, the first phase of Season 2, I guess you would call it, is already out, and we will begin work on the next phase of Season 2 shortly. Um, where we discuss For All Mankind. In the previous season, Lewis and Lars Emerson discuss V, hence the name of the podcast. Um, until then, don't touch that dial, but you can now because the show's about to end. Uh, thanks for listening. Oh, man, Cheers is on. <laughs> the Postwriter is primarily self-funded by its owners, and it costs hundreds of dollars per year to keep the site online. The money we raise and contribute ourselves allows us to pursue stories, projects, and interests that are important to us, while making them completely free to everyone online with minimal advertisements. We do, however, rely on contributions from readers, followers, and listeners like you to stay sustainable and go above and beyond. Every additional dollar we raise helps us do things like launch new podcasts, write more content, pursue larger projects, and engage more with current and future readers. If you're inclined to support us, you can go to thepostwriter.com slash donate to find out how to support the site and our projects financially. Thank you for your support and for contributing to the work we do.